Good morning, my name is Pastor Jeremy, and I've got the privilege of opening uh, God's Word with you this morning. Uh, Before I start, um, Ryan is out of town. He's at Pastor Brandon's church in Rochester, New York. The reason he's there is because they are installing an elder this morning, and that is a huge step in the life of a church plant because it means that they are now an autonomous church, Um, and so it's a big day for them, so we can praise God for that, for sure, as Ryan's out there. And um, he asked me to give you an update on where things are at with uh, church planting with Heather and I. Um, So we decided, um, I think I felt the call to specifically St. Cloud, Minnesota, probably uh, in January, um, where I was like, I think think that's the city. God had just put a lot on my heart for the people there, and uh, a few visits confirmed that. Um, We met with about 12 people when we were there. Uh, Heather and I were there in in March, and every story, um, it wasn't until after we left that I looked at Heather, I said, was it just me or was every story the same of the people that we met, which was uh, raised Catholic or raised Lutheran, a lot of religion, not a lot of relationship, Um, then a a season away from the church of of drugs, alcohol, or uh, sexual uh, sin, and then found Jesus, and Jesus saved them, but then not able to find a church that will disciple them and bring them to the next level. And my heart just broke for that as I just want to do that for the rest of my life. So to find those people there, um, that was great. And then going with um, Rich Arrigo and Deb went with us in May, and um, they got to see it, and they got to feel it, and that was a tremendous blessing and then uh, the elders making a unanimous decision uh, that I and Heather and our three children are to go to St. Cloud to plant a church. And uh, that move is coming fast. That move is coming um, in August. So I I ask Siri on occasion, how many days is it until... And uh, the last time I asked her, she said, it's 72 days. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um... How can you pray for this? Um, We really need people to pray for this. And uh, pray for, one, that we would sell our home. Uh, We're listing our home um, in two days, and we would love to sell that. The week after that, uh, we have a condo that we lived in uh, years ago uh, that we're trying to sell as well. So we have to sell two properties and buy another, um, buy or rent or something up there and find a place for our kids to go to school. And uh, we don't know any of that right now. Um, we're walking by faith, and uh, we would, I, I would love, Heather would love for you just to pray uh, for that process to go well, uh, for the Lord to continue to shape me into the man that he wants me to be, uh, that I would watch over my family well during this season of transition. So uh, the plan is to move in August and then to start to build a core team uh, right away. Um, from who? Oh, I don't know. People you buy groceries from, people you meet in the gym. I don't care. I'm going to ask everybody. I don't, you know. Start to build the church um, from scratch. And um, yeah, and then do training at the same time. Sometimes I'll be traveling uh, to another church to receive my training there. Other times it'll just be a webinar where I'm opening up my laptop. But the plan is to move to St. Cloud uh, in August Um, Kids will be in school on September 4, and uh, Heather and I will already be back here on September 6 and 7 for uh, uh, an assessment with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention for uh, their support. So it's exciting, um, but man, we covet your prayers. Uh, And your prayers can change. Your prayers change things. They really do. So please 
uh, pray for us that we would, we would be able to do that and that we would launch in September of 2019. So uh, there's the update on that. So we are in a series called The Big Ten. We're at number eight. And uh, I thought I'd start out by, uh, do you know, do you know the Ten Commandments? If I ask you, can you say the Ten Commandments in order, can you? I've seen like two people nod at me and the rest of you are like, oh, please, no. All right. All right, the Ten Commandments. My goal in the next like three minutes is to teach you to be able to know the Ten Commandments in order, on the spot, no matter what, for the rest of your life. It's a high calling, right? Here we go, though. You just have to use your fingers. And this is an all-call. This is an all-skate. You have to do this with me, not leave me up here. Okay? Um, and so, number one. Everybody go like this. There we go. All for par- Number one. There's only one God. See how that he is. Just one God. All right. Two. All right. Now shake your fingers back and forth. You know what those, you know what those are? Those are clearly idols. Those are clearly idols. They're two little dancing idols, and you, you, you should not worship idols. So there's one God, and you don't worship idols. And you go three, and put, put them together, and then just, just cover your mouth. You've got to watch your mouth. You've got to keep the name of God holy. You know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, watch your mouth. So one God, no idols, the Lord's name. This one's kind of a little interesting. You've got to take four fingers, but then you've got to take these two and put them forward, so it's kind of like that, and then put them down like this. It's not a gang symbol. It's clearly four corners of a church building. You know, it's, and we have to honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So there's, there's one God, and don't worship idols, Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And then you know, five, Ready? We're saluting our parents. We're honoring our father and mother. It's one God. You don't worship idols. Watch your mouth. Honor the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Number six. This is clearly a gun. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. One God. Idols. Watch your mouth. Don't murder. All right. We're back to this one. But these aren't idols this time. You hold these two still and you go, go around them in circles. I didn't know you guys would enjoy this so much. Everybody's laughing. They're like, this is so much fun. What you're doing is you're drawing wedding rings on your fingers. You shall not commit adultery. Stay faithful because our God is faithful. Okay? The one God, he's faithful. That's why we don't worship idols. You don't take his name in vain. You know, honor the Sabbath day, honor don't kill anyone. Keep your marriage vows. And eight comes next. All right, make a sideways eight. Those are handcuffs. If you steal, they'll put you in handcuffs. Okay, eight. You shall not steal. Okay, eight. One God, no idols. Okay, we'll skip. We'll skip. Introduction to a sermon can't be longer than five minutes. So, <laughs> number nine. Oh man, this is this is a good one. All right. See this little guy right down here? Poor little guy. This little thing is so sad. He's sad because these nine, they're talking behind his back and bearing false witness against him. (laughs) That's why. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number nine. And then number ten, you just have to reach out and grab something and take it to yourself. You shall not covet. All right, now, 
We won't rehearse them again, but if you can do them at the end of the service, we shall give you free prayer, free coffee, and free cookies. And it is all for you, anyone that can do all ten of the commandments. This morning we are at number eight. Four words, you shall not steal. And I have to admit to you right away that I am not a good role model for you when it comes to this commandment, you shall not steal. Because I, Pastor Jeremy, happen to be lazy, greedy, and selfish. Yes, all three of those, lazy, greedy, and selfish. I would rather be in a hammock than doing the dishes. Much rather be in a hammock than doing the dishes. Because I am lazy. I'm, I am greedy. If it was between you giving me a grand or me giving you a 20, you can give me the grand. Because I'm, I'm, that sounds good to me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. And I, I, am, I am selfish. I am selfish. I would rather do what I want to do when I want to do it. If I had to choose between watching the three kids so that Heather can go to Hobby Lobby and going kayaking, I'm going to go kayaking. My heart's going to want to go because I am naturally lazy, greedy, and selfish. Whoever said that it is better to give than to receive was right. They also have a better heart than me because I am a natural-born taker. My question for you this morning is, are you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we approach your word, we approach your Ten Commandments, Lord, we are going to catch a glimpse of your character and we're going to catch a glimpse of your uh, demands and commands on our lives, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, um, by your spirit, do a work in our hearts, Lord, that we would move away from being takers, and that we would instead be more like you and be a giver. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, you can turn there. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 is a very interesting place to be in the Bible. We're 70 chapters into the Bible, Um, But what you probably don't know is that Exodus 20 marks a really, really, really big transition in the Bible. Because the 69 chapters that come before it, the 50 chapters of Genesis and the 19 chapters of Exodus, number one, you're not going to find a whole lot of laws anywhere. You're going to find, like, don't eat from that tree. You're not going to find a whole lot of laws. You're going to find a lot of story. You're going to find a little bit of poetry in 69 chapters. And then we hit this chapter, and all of a sudden there's a switch. There's a big switch, and we kind of leave the story, even though we're still in the story. We're at the foot of Mount Sinai. We're in the story, but we're switching to what's going to be a treaty, really, a treaty of laws. And the laws are going to keep on coming. There's going to be a ton of laws throughout the rest of Exodus. Leviticus is essentially all laws. Numbers is going to be a ton of laws. Deuteronomy is just going to say the law again. And we're right here at this point of transition where we're in a treaty. And you have to ask yourself the question, why are we moving from a story into a treaty? The reason for that is, is because God wanted to be with his people. God wants to be with his people. He's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's with them. And they screw it up. 
They eat from the tree. And then Noah gets drunk. And then Abraham lies about his wife. And then Isaac plays favorites with his kids. And then Jacob's a huge liar. And then Joseph is kind of a brat. And then Moses is kind of a murderer. And so the story of the first 70 chapters is that this whole relationship thing between God and man isn't going so hot. And it's not God's fault. It's man's fault. What we see in Exodus 20 is that God is drawing near. If you want to picture God in the heavens, he's dropping down to the top of a mountain. Why is he dropping down to the top of a mountain? He's like, hey, let's try again. Let's try again. You can be my people. I can be your God if you follow these ten words. And then he goes through them. So we're looking at a treaty. The series is called The Big Ten. Never forget that this mountain was shaking, that this mountain was thundering, that this mountain was on fire, and that God said, don't get too close or you'll die. Our God is a consuming fire. How close we listen to people usually depends on their status. How big of a deal are they? I don't listen to my kids that much. You know, there's just not a ton of authority there. You know, but when you know, pastor or elder here says something, I, I listen up big. God is talking here. God, these are the words of God. They could not be heavier. They could not be more serious. And in Exodus 20, verse 15, God just says four words. In this verse, in this command, he says, You shall not steal. The basis of this command is the same basis of every other command. It's the very character of God. Why should we not steal? Because God does not steal. God is a giver. He is not a taker. And God wants us to be givers, not takers. But like I've told you, that's not the best news for a person like me, because when I roll the footage of my life, I see that I am a natural-born taker. You can jot these things down as I go through them, all the ways that I've been a natural-born taker. I've been a taker when, number one, I've stolen the work of others. I've been a taker when I've stolen the work of others. I recently graduated from seminary. seminary. I got a master's degree. I think it's the first degree that I've wholeheartedly earned. Because in college, I know that I hit copy and paste with words that were not mine. As a matter of fact, I may have even found some tests or quizzes ahead of time. In high school, my eyes were not always on my own paper. I'd take. I probably was even taking in grade school. Stealing the work of others. See, God created us to create new things to bless the world, not to take things from other people and claim that they're ours. I've taken. I've stolen the work of others. Christians should be the best 
students. When we take instead of give, we damage the gospel. We don't enhance it. God's reputation is damaged when we take from others. That's not good news for me because I'm a natural-born taker. Are you? But I've also been a natural-born taker when I've stolen the time of others. I've been a taker when I've stolen the time of others. You ever, I've, I've noticed something about Facebook. I, I don't post on Facebook a ton, but when I do, um, the first thing I notice is that my kids get infinitely more likes than anything I would say, no matter how profound it is. But the second thing is, if you notice, if you want to rack up some likes on Facebook, the, the best time to post it is like Monday at 10 a.m. Not Saturday, not Sunday, not even Friday night. Has it ever struck you as weird that people are supposed to be working when they're liking your stuff on Facebook. I actually looked it up. The number one most active time on Facebook is Wednesday at 3 o'clock when every single person is supposed to be at work, but they've put in their two and a half days and they're done. Stealing the time of others. You shall not steal doesn't just refer to the 20 that is hanging out of someone's purse. It also refers to that hour of work that your employer is paying you for. Christians should make the best employees. Lazy employees do not do the gospel any favors. They do not do Christianity any favors. At my past jobs and sometimes even my present. See, Ryan doesn't even watch my sermons anymore, so I can say, you know, even Ken's here. Ken him. Even here. Even here sometimes, you know, on the phone with the family, a little, little. It's stealing. It's stealing people's time. It's stealing other people's money. And I've done that. I'm guilty of that. Because I'm a natural-born taker. Are you? I've also been a taker when I've stolen the dignity of others. When I've stolen the dignity of others. Gossip is not an acceptable sin. Slander is not an acceptable sin. When you talk behind someone's back, when you say something against their character, sometimes even if it's true, you're taking their reputation. Talking behind people's back is getting increasingly, increasingly more and more, especially with youth, especially with social media. Chatter, 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 chatter. What are you doing? That's not your reputation. God did not give you the right to trash someone else's reputation. But I've done that. I've done that. I find myself guilty again in God's courtroom. I've talked behind people's backs. I've said things to others that I'd never say to their face. A person's reputation, it belongs to them. It does not belong to you. And God will take care of it. Where there's gossip 
and rumors. A person's reputation is being stolen. The verse that uh, actually uh, Ken Henley, that he made the sermon twice already. He gave me this verse years ago, five years ago, he gave me this verse, Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Okay, that's okay. To be obedient, okay. To be ready for every good work, okay. This is the spot where I'm like, oh boy. To speak evil of no one. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Maybe another one of those things hits you this morning. But I tell you what, to speak evil of no one, that's the one that I look at and I'm like, that is a high, high bar. And I had to memorize that and say it to myself on the way to work. And do you know what I found? I think you know what I found. I talked less. Especially about your boss or especially about your co-workers. When you keep on playing the tape of speak evil of no one, all of a sudden you catch yourself and you're just not talking as much. And instead of saying, hey, did you hear? You're just like, hey, how's your day? Because you can't speak evil of anyone. It takes no effort for me at all to steal the dignity of others with my speech. It is not my... I don't have to work at that. I actually have to work at the opposite. I have to work at speak evil of no one. Because I'm a natural-born taker. Are you? I've also been a taker when I've stolen the money of others. I've been a natural-born taker when I've stolen the money of others. The problem with stealing money, here's the problem with stealing money. When you take money that doesn't belong to you, when you steal somebody's possession or someone's cash, the real problem isn't really that you stole it. The real problem is that you think God made a mistake by not giving it to you in the first place. See, God has promised to take care of you. He has promised to give you everything that you need. And when you reach out your hand and grab something that's not yours, what you're saying is, God, you've screwed up. You haven't given me everything that I deserve, so I need to take matters into my own hands and take this for myself. Do you see how that's an affront on the very character of God? The very character of God. You're saying, God, you're not powerful enough to give me this, or you're not loving enough to give me this, or you don't know that I need this. It's stealing that tells God, no, you're not who you say you are. But I have. I have stolen. My earliest memories, my earliest memories of my entire life, are stealing dimes from my dad so that I could buy lemon heads at a softball game or jawbreakers. I remember getting caught by one of my uncles stealing quarters from their jar on their dresser when I had to be five or six years old. No one had to teach me how to steal. That's just how I was. I'm a natural-born taker. And I've taken the money of others. I took all the way through high school. I took all the way into college. I can't even tell you how many times I stole growing up. But I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I went, I went, I went to Canada. I went to Canada. Uh, that was just last week. It's been a week. 
So on my way back, okay, I'm, I'm with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, and we're on the way back, and my brother is going to bring my truck to me, and we're going to meet on the interstate. Good plan. So my brother pulls up next to the gas dispenser, gas tank, whatever you could, gas pump. They're called pumps. Gas pump. I'm like, fill it up, man. I'm like, fill it up. He's like, it's got three quarters of a tank. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to drive. I, I need to get home. So just, just fill it up the whole way. I'm not going to stop. You know, I want to get as far as I can. So he fills it up, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to use the facilities, and I'm going to get myself a coffee, and I'm going to pay for my gas. So I hit the button, pay inside on the gas pump, and I, I go inside, and I'm going to buy my coffee, and I reach down into my pocket, and I'm like, uh-oh, I don't have my wallet or my phone or my cash. It's all in my father-in-law's truck. Fortunately for me, he's right next door at Subway. So I run outside, get in my car, jump in it, drive over to the Subway, get my wallet, my phone, my cash, hug my mom, my brother, say goodbye to my father-in-law, and hit the interstate. You know, moving, moving, walking, you know, getting home, getting home. All of a sudden, I look down, I'm at a quarter tank. And I'm like, oh, you're probably going to have to stop and get gas in a little bit. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, boy. You didn't pay for your gas in Minnesota. There's a, there's, there's a trooper behind you for that $27.40. You know, no, there wasn't a trooper. But I called. I called. I called them, and I said, my name is Jeremy. There was a black truck at your gas station around 1230. It filled up with gas. It didn't pay for it. And they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> we looked you up. I'm like, you would really make my day if I could just pay for that gasoline over the phone. Can I do that? Yes, you can. So I, di I didn't take, the I kind of took the gas. But I paid for it later. But the, in, in full honesty, I mean, my first thought, first thought, call the gas station and pay for the gas so you don't go to jail. Second thought, maybe they don't know. <laughs> it's podunk in Minnesota. What are they going to do? Now, why did I even have that thought? Because I'm a natural-born taker. Are you? I've also been a taker when I've not developed my God-given talents. When I've not developed my God-given talents. Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the giving of the talents, gives one ten, another five, another one one. Um, that story has haunted me. That parable has haunted me for a while because I know that I haven't developed my God-given talents, not all of them. Uh, in eighth grade, um, we did a, a school play, and it was Tom Sawyer was the, the play, and um, I happened to be Tom Sawyer. I got the lead role in the play, and I was good at talking on a stage, believe it or not, <laughs> and being a troublesome, portraying a troublesome youth. You know, clearly, it wasn't that hard for me to do. The play went great, and I, I went into high school, and uh, it's time to go out for the play. And I was such a punk, because when they're like, Jeremy, are you going to go out for the play? I'm like, no, I'm not going out for the play. Why aren't you going to go out for the play? Because some senior will get the lead role, and I should have it. So I'm not going to go out. I know, I used to have that bad of an attitude. I really did, though. I've gone out for one play my whole life. God gives me the talent, says, use it, and what do I do? But 
fill myself with my own pride, think of me first and not develop it. And not develop it. You know, God would have every right. God would have every right when he saw that stubborn 15, 14-year-old saying, I'm going to use my talents for my glory. He would have had every right to take away my ability to speak and be in front of people. He would have had every right to take that, but he's gracious. He's gracious. I wanted to take what God had given me and use it for just me, but that is stealing. That is stealing. Everything that we have is God's, not ours. The verse that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. This is just a portion of the verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? It's such a humbling verse because the first thing I want to do is, oh, I have something. I have some things. that I, And then I'm like, no, no, no. Everything, the breath I just took, the ability to say a word, I didn't give myself a tongue. That's from, that's from God. Everything, everything is from God. All of those talents are from God. And we're supposed to take what we're good at, what he's given us, and we're supposed to use it for his glory and not our own. But sometimes we don't because we're stubborn. I've done that because I'm a natural born taker. Are you? I've also been a natural born taker when I've consumed more than I've contributed I've been a taker when I've consumed more than contributed. The verse that comes to mind is Ephesians 4, verse 28, which really says the heart of God towards this matter. He's like, let the thief no longer steal. Why? So he can be a good person? No, that's, that's not really what God wants, is for you to be a good person that doesn't steal. God wants you, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, our God is a giver. When you call yourself a Christian, what you're saying is, I believe in a God that is a passionate giver of good gifts to his people. And God says, be like that. Be like me. Be holy as I am holy. He comes down on the mountain and says, you shall not steal. Why? So that the world will know what I am like. So that you can do honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with those in need. God wants us to contribute more than consume. But as again, I roll the footage of my life, I see that I have consumed more than contributed. When I think of my parents and all of the things that I've taken from my parents over the years. I hope to give back a little bit for the rest of my life to them, but I've, I've I mean, like every other kid, I, I treated the, the house as a hotel instead of a home because I was more focused on consuming than contributing. When I think of my friends, I'm still tempted to take advantage of my friends my default setting 
is that my friends exist for my good, not that I exist for theirs. What's worse than a friend that consumes your time, your love, your energy, and doesn't give anything back? But we're, I'm, I'm tempted to approach my relationships from a what can I get rather than what can I give. When I think about church, this applies to the church in a big, big way. Our culture promotes a consumer mindset, a big-time consumer mindset where many walk into church and the only thing they can think about is what they're going to receive instead of what they're going to give. It goes against the very foundation of faith in Jesus. It goes against the most simple truth to approach life that way as a follower of Christ. Jesus did not come to consume, but to contribute. But I'm a natural-born taker. I'm a natural-born taker. And here's the cold, hard truth about being a natural-born taker. When we are natural-born takers, when we take, we are not imitating God. We are imitating Satan. Satan is a taker. He steals the gospel. Luke 8, verse 12. He takes away the word of life so that the gospel is not sown in the hearts of people. He steals our fruitfulness. His temptations of believers are attempts to steal our joy, our hope, our love, our witness, Satan is a stealer. First Peter 5 verse 8 tells us that Satan is a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. You know, I've never seen Satan eat a person's body. But I've seen a few souls devoured. Because Satan is a taker. Satan is a taker. He takes, he steals. This is what Satan is about. He steals. He takes life. Satan was stealing in the Garden of Eden, and he's still stealing today. And when we take, we are joining. Not in Christ's work, but his. He's a taker. It's painful to admit, but I am guilty of imitating Satan because I am a natural-born taker. Are you? When I look at Exodus 20, this is what I see. When I look at Exodus 20, I see that people, is, people are in rebellion. God desires relationship. So God comes down to a mountaintop. The mountain shakes, and God demands perfection. Let me say that again, only this time focus on that cross that's behind me. People are in rebellion. God desires relationship. 
God comes down to a mountaintop, the mountain shakes, and God demands perfection. Now that's just fascinating. That in Exodus 20 we have something taking place that God is going to act out again years, years later by sending his son. It reminds me of a story. It's in Luke 23. Turn there with me in your Bibles, please. I've been taught about the cross of Christ since, since I could crawl. Before I can remember, I was taught about the cross of Jesus Christ. I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't know about the cross of Christ. And I have to tell you, it's still blowing my mind. It's still absolutely blowing my mind. And this sermon is one thing that blows my mind about the cross of Jesus Christ. In Luke 23... Verse 39 is where we're going to read. Jesus is up on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been nailed to it. Many things have happened. This is one of my favorite, favorite stories in the whole Bible, even though it's only four verses long. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When you look at the other Gospels, you see that two thieves were crucified with Jesus, one on either side. Both of them got up on the cross hostile towards the Son of God. Both of them mocked him. Both of them wagged their heads at him and derided him while he was on the cross. But one of them didn't stay that way. He turned towards Jesus. He acknowledges this is so crazy. Everything about the Gospel is right here in this tiny little, tiny little story only found in the book of Luke. He fears God. He acknowledges his guilt. He turns towards Jesus. He acknowledges that Jesus is sinless. He acknowledges that Jesus is a king. And he acknowledges that Jesus can bring him into his kingdom. Now, as a natural-born taker, this story gives me great, great, great hope. Because my only hope, your only hope, the world's only hope of being a natural-born taker is found in one place and one place only, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. You can jot this down. Jesus died a thief's death. It was the death of a thief. It was painful. It was embarrassing. It was a punishment. It was the death of a thief. Between two thieves, one on either side, to save thieves and bring them to paradise. Am I a natural born taker? Yes. Yes, I am. But I've got a supernatural born Savior. Should I stop stealing? Yes, I should. Should you stop stealing? Yes, you should. But more than stop stealing, have you solved the problem of your stealing? 
The biggest problem with stealing is not that you need to stop. The biggest problem with stealing is that God descended down to a mountain, shook it, and said, you shall not steal. And he said, if you want to be in my presence, you have to be without sin. That's the problem with stealing. Have you solved that problem? Have you solved that problem by looking to the Son of God who died a thief's death between two thieves, four thieves, to save thieves and bring them to paradise? I actually remind myself that I'm a thief. Some of you have heard this already, but maybe others haven't. Um, This is... I keep all my diplomas framed in my office. I keep a prayer framed in my office. Um, but I keep this framed in my office. And what this is, is uh, this is a letter from the Board of Education, the Executive Committee, dated February 24th, 1999. It's the day before my birthday. And uh, what this says is it's, it's my expulsion letter from high school. It's the letter that they gave me in the meeting when they said, Jeremy, you're not going to come back because you stole from the office. You're a thief. And so you, you, you can't be here. And I remember just weeping. I remember weeping. I remember going home. I remember those hard weeks. I, I remember that. And so you, you got you to, gotta, you know, why? Why keep this? Why keep this? Quite honestly, I think my mom would appreciate if it wasn't framed in my office. <laughs> but it is. And the reason why it is, is it reminds me, it reminds me of who I am. It reminds me that I am a natural born taker. It reminds me that I've offended God, that I've broken his commands. And it reminds me that I have a Savior that didn't have to die a thief's death. He never stole anything. So what was he doing dying a thief's death? He was in my place. That was my cross. The sign above his head should have said, Jeremy Ritzma, guilty of insurrection and treason against the Son of God, sentenced to death. It should have been my sign. It should have been my cross because I'm a natural-born taker. Why was he there? Well, because he was dying for a thief like me. Jesus doesn't have to associate with... I mean, what what is he doing associating with thieves? He's right next to two thieves. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus associates with thieves. He's near to thieves. But he's waiting He's waiting for thieves. He's waiting for natural-born takers to acknowledge their guilt, to acknowledge his sinlessness, and to turn away from their sin and to turn towards him for forgiveness. Have you done that? Have you done that? How have you solved the problem I know I'm a natural-born taker. I actually know that all of you are natural-born takers. Have you solved that problem by turning 
to Christ, acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. Have you done that? If not, I urge you, take care of that. Take care of that. I am a natural born taker. Are you? If you are, turn towards the cross of Christ where you can find forgiveness and power to live a life where you give. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we don't deserve to even approach you this morning to speak to you, Lord, for we are natural-born takers, Lord. Sometimes we do a pretty good job of reflecting you to those around us, and other times we do not. And Lord, we're just so grateful that you've, one, laid out a law which tells us how to live, Lord, that it may go well for us. But Lord, that you provided your son Jesus to die for those sins. That you love us so much that you, that you took care of that for us, Lord. That you took our place, that you associate with sinners, that you draw near to sinners. And Lord, I just pray that sinners would draw near to you, Lord. That you would receive them, that you would change them. Lord, thank you for dying the death we deserved. It's in Jesus' name we pray.